This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining us as always. The NFL season seems to be headed towards a start, but we are still here Saturday to Sunday digesting and breaking down all things NFL draft related. Before we turn the page to the 2021 prospects, we will continue to hone in on the 2020 prospects and how they you know, transition to the NFL game for another few weeks. We have a bunch of great guests lined up here to kind of close out the 2020, you know, draft and those prospects before we turn the page to the 2021 class, you know, and as we kind of wait to see exactly the landscape of college football, you know, it, it sounds like the NFL is pushing forward, you know, with a season college football, I think is still a little bit more to be determined. I think they are trying in all capacity to find a way to do it uh so we will see you know what that what happens with that but this episode is one that i did last year where i kind of just look at some dynasty rookies that i think are either undervalued you know a little bit off the radar in terms of your top two rounds uh and then some sleepers some some later round guys you know Maybe in your rookie drafts and deep rookie drafts, you stash them. And then even a look at a little bit at some UDFA free agents, which I haven't done any talk with UDFA free agents because usually, you know, we have rookie mini camps. We find out like, you know, not only like who stood out, but sometimes they just get invites. You know, sometimes they sign, you know, contracts as UDFAs, you know, so usually the rookie mini camps and then even the regular mini camps usually give us a little bit of a better guide, you know, in terms of what to do with these UDFA prospects. I have not included any UDFA prospects on the rankings notebook in terms of the dynasty rookies. Uh, right now, I just have it focused on the prospects that were drafted in the 2020 NFL draft. So let's get right into it and, and talk about the quarterback position a little bit. You know, we've talked a, a a lot about the main guys. But, you know, if we dig a little bit deeper here, guys that I think are, you know, undervalued or sleepers or some diamonds in the rough. Let's start with, I know we've talked about him a lot, but I want to talk about Jacob Easton a little bit because I do think he might be undervalued a little bit if you're talking about super flex or two quarterback leagues and your rookie drafts. I mean, Philip Rivers, you know, at best, he's a one or two year stopgap. I know he's saying he maybe wants to play longer, but he's his play in for the Chargers really started to drop off last season, you know. And I'm not sure, you know, he's the long term answer there, you know, for three years. I think it could easily be one or two years. They're going to make a push, see what happens. But if Jacob Eason develops and continues to show progress, you do wonder if he's going to get an opportunity there to eventually take over that starting quarterback job, you know, whether it's next season or probably my guess would be if he gets an opportunity, it'd be two years down the line. You know, Frank Reich is known as a good quarterback guru and teacher. You know, Jacob Eason, obviously big arm talent, can push the ball vertically down the field, showed some progress with his accuracy this year, but still ways to go in that and progression reading and decision-making. But the thing that's intriguing is, is they really are set up there with, with Jonathan Taylor, 
you know, as the lead running back, you know, they drafted Michael Pittman, you know, T.Y. Hilton's probably not there for the long haul, you know, uh, but a great offensive line for the most part, a pretty young offensive line there. So things could be set up that I think Jacob Eason is a decent flyer, you know, in the third, fourth round of two quarterback, you know, or 16 team leagues. Like I, I think it's a, a viable selection because it's going a little bit under the radar. If he was taken in the back end of round one or round two or round three, I think the narrative would be a little bit different on him as it was pre-draft and, and not where it is post-draft that he fell a little bit further in the draft. Uh, Jake Luden is another guy I want to talk about. You know, obviously Gardner Minshew was a big story for Jacksonville last year. I'm on record as saying I'm not a believer. So if Gardner Minshew struggles and isn't the answer, do they give Jake Luden an opportunity down the stretch to show what he can do this year before maybe they invest in the Trevor Lawrence, you know, or, or Justin Fields, you know, or Trey Lance or something like that. So or if Minshew is solid this year, but not overwhelming, but they're not in a position to get one of those quarterbacks, is Luton a guy in year two or year three that gets an opportunity? You know, I know there were some people, I think Greg Cosell, that he was an interesting day three flyer. Uh, and so did I, you know, so he's a guy that I think is under the radar a little bit. You know, Cole McDonald in Tennessee is intriguing because, you know, Ryan Tannehill signed that massive contract extension. I think he's locked in for at least two years as the starter. But they could think about getting out of it after two years. It would be a decent cap hit. But, you know, who's to say that if if he doesn't continue to show the skill set that he did this year, Ryan Tannehill, you know, Cole McDonald was a very toolsy player at Hawaii. You know, there was a lot to like about his game, his athleticism, his arm talent, his movement ability. You know, he has a lot to develop and and show that he can be a better decision maker. He can, you know show better accuracy, you know, go through progressions clearer. But if he sits behind Ryan Tannehill a couple of years and learns, he's got an intriguing developmental upside. So I think he, in two quarterback leagues that are really deep, he's a great stash on a taxi roster. Him and Jake Luton, to me, are, are two intriguing stashes. And then we talked about Jake Fromm a little bit, but I'll talk about him again. I'm on the Josh Allen bandwagon. But there are a lot of people that still think he's going to crash and burn and and not make it in the NFL. And if that's the case, then for those people, Jake Fromm should be an interesting two quarterback, uh, you know, or super flex pick late in your draft if you have a taxi squad to stash him because Buffalo kind of has a you know a good running game. They have a good defense that Jake Fromm could be just asked to kind of play the role of caretaker a little bit and game manager and be the polar opposite of if they, you know, don't go further and don't and at some point want to move on from Josh Allen. Jake Fromm is the polar opposite in terms of style of play. So would he get an opportunity like that? So those are a couple of guys, you know, there wasn't anything in the UDFA quarterback landscape that I really think is worthy of talking about, you know, UDFA quarterbacks, you know, the list is short. We're talking Kurt Warner and Tony Romo, you know what I mean? And I don't see anybody, you know, in the UDFA ranks who I think has a legitimate chance, even in a couple years, I think if somebody develops like a Brian Lewarki or somebody like that, I think it would be really surprising you know, I, ju- I just don't see that Kevin Davidson, you know, Tyler Huntley, you know, Shea Patterson, you know, Anthony Gordon would probably be the best of the UDFA prospects that would intrigue me. Uh, but even him, I, I thought he was more of a round six, round seven guy, you know, at best, a, you know, third string backup type. So there's no one that I can see that is worth stashing or talking about uh, from the UDFA ranks. 
if we take this to the running back ranks, you know, again, we've talked so much about the guys at the top, the guys in the second round, even some of the guys in the third round, but guys that I think are a little bit intriguing and are being a little undervalued right now. One Darrington Evans, because we don't know the Derrick Henry situation, you know, it, are they going to give him a long-term contract extension? That seems unlikely. Are they going to franchise tag him again? That seems possible. I mean, obviously it's a substantial, you know, financial commitment when you do back-to-back years on the franchise tag. But Darrington Evans could be in a situation on a team that loves to run the football to be very much involved by the start of next season if Derrick Henry's not there. Now, I am under no false perception that he is going in any way to be a guy who leads the backfield in and and has a massive you know uh work share but i do think that if they move on from derrick henry they will invest in a running back probably either on round one round two or round three would be my guess but who's to say that that running back isn't a guy that they look at to form a duo with darrington evans and if they form a duo with darrington evans and he becomes a guy that still gets 10 to 12 carries you know, and maybe a reception or two, I think he could have some fancy viability. He could be a guy that develops into, you know, a player like Philip Lindsay or a player, you know, that doesn't need 15, 16, 17 touches. Maybe he's a guy that develops into a 10 to 12 touch guy and is paired with another running back in Tennessee and then develops into a guy who could be, you know, a viable fantasy player factor, you know, as an RB3, RB4, or flex type. So I think maybe he's going a little bit further in rookie drafts than he should because, you know, people are looking at it and just saying he's like a handcuff or, or clear backup. But I think they looked at him as a little bit more. I mean, I think it was Daniel Jeremiah said teams had Darrington Evans, you know, rated pretty highly because of his ability, you know, to be a big play threat. He's not that small of a guy, so he has some mass to his frame. So I think he's one guy. I think Joshua Kelly is going way too under the radar. He's very much undervalued in my opinion because I think Austin Eckler and I think the Chargers notice is that his best in that 14 to 16 touch range. And you know he's going to be a big factor in the pass game. So I think they very much need a guy to develop to a guy who could handle 10 to 12 carries a game. And if that's Joshua Kelly, he could become a fantasy factor. Now, this year, he's also dealing with Justin Jackson. But I think Joshua Kelly is, is as, as talented or more talented than Justin Jackson, who's had an opportunity there. And if they really thought Justin Jackson was locked in as the guy to compliment Austin Eckler, I'm sure they would have invested in Joshua Kelly in the round they did. So I think Joshua Kelly is, 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 is going under the radar. You know, to me, he's, he's intriguing there because I do think they need a one-two punch with Austin Eckler and a guy who could really carry more of a workload and be a little bit more of an in-between-the-tackles guy and preserve Austin Eckler, you know, and you Eckler's best in space in the pass game. I think Kelly could be that guy that complements him, even though Kelly's pretty good in his own right in space, especially as a pass catcher as well. Uh, you know, some sleeper guys who've been talked about, you know, DJ Dallas, I think, you know, very much we don't know the right on the wall with the, the Seahawks backs. You know, we've seen guys kind of come up out of nowhere with the Seahawks and become viable running backs and fantasy factors. I think DJ Dallas falls in that. So I think he's a little bit of a sleeper depending on where he's going in your rookie drafts. You know, Rashard Penny's probably going to start the year in the PUP. He hasn't really materialized. We don't know how he's going to come back from his injury. Chris Carson has battled a lot of injuries, physical running style. You know, 
DJ Dallas could be a guy that, you know, after investing, you know, in Dallas and Richard Penny, they might not be willing to invest an early pick next year in a running back. You know, they signed Carlos Hyde, who could be a one-year stopgap. So I think that Carlos Hyde signing, I think, is pushing DJ Dallas way down rookie drafts now. So I think he's an intriguing guy, maybe in round four now, that you just kind of wait and stash on. Carlos Hyde's probably only there for one year. We don't know about Richard Penny's long-term health and and you know, and, and how good he could be. And then Chris Carson, who knows? What if DJ Dallas shows something and Rashard Penny gets healthy and they're the two running backs a year from now? I don't think it's impossible to see that scenario playing itself out the way the Seahawks kind of move through running backs and kind of give anyone the best available an opportunity to play. And then Eno Benjamin would be another guy I would say is a sleeper because he's around seven guy. And obviously the name is not really a sleeper name, but I do think, you know, Benjamin very much could push Chase Edmonds uh, for that number two running back job at some point this year. Maybe not with the lack of, you know, off season we have, but I do think by the middle of the year, you know, Benjamin could potentially start pushing Chase Edmonds a little bit and could maybe end up impacting and, and being part of that. And I remember Kenyon Drake is only playing on the transition tag, you know, so who's to say that his price tag is not too high for the Cardinals next year and they invest in somebody, whether it's free agency or in, in the first couple of rounds of the draft. But what if, you know, Benjamin surprises them or what if, you know, Benjamin becomes a part of, you know, a committee in that offense, you know, that they're creating there, it's going to have wide open rushing lanes. I think with all the wide receivers and, and the type of offense they're going to play there. I think, you know, Benjamin is kind of interesting. If we talk about the running backs who were UDFAs, a couple guys uh, stand out. Uh, to me, the first one, uh, well, the Cowboys signed three guys, two from TCU, Darius Anderson and uh, Sewu Olonalu, and then Rico Dowdle from South Carolina. I think Rico Dowdle from South Carolina is the one that intrigues me the most. There were a bunch of people that were really high on Rico Dowdle. Lance Erline had him graded pretty high. Matt Waldman was a fan of his game. And I thought he was a guy that did everything pretty solid. Nothing stood out, but I didn't see a huge on-film difference between a guy like Rico Dowdle and Alexander Madison. And Alexander Madison went to the end of the third round in that draft. I mean, I like Madison a little bit more, but I thought Dowdle was going to be around four, round five, at worst, around six guy. So the fact that he was a UDFA, he tested out better athletically. I mean, he did have some injury concerns, and that maybe was what pushed him as a UDFA. But I don't think it's impossible to envision a scenario that one of these UDFA prospects, and my bet would be on Dowdle, makes the roster there and is potentially the third running back, you know, after Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard, Tony Pollard is much more of a guy who plays in space. If he was a, if anything was ever happened to Ezekiel Elliott, I think it would be very much a two man backfield. And if one of these guys was to develop, you know, it would be an intriguing landing spot. But again, this would have to be super deep, you know, dynasty rosters with large taxi squads to consider a guy like, you know, uh, Rico Dowdle. Levante Bellamy, who went to the Broncos out of Western Michigan, he really intrigued me because he had explosive traits. His athleticism, his burst, his speed, his acceleration, his kick return ability. And it's interesting that he goes there because we've already seen a guy in Philip Lindsay go to UDFA route to become viable. You know, Bellamy's buried there, and I don't even know if he's going to make the team, so maybe a practice squad. But if he makes the practice squad, keep an eye on Levante Bellamy because Melvin Gordon's probably there for two years. I don't, I think they will move on from Royce Freeman once he's a, you know, I don't think he's in their long term plans. And then Philip Lindsay as well with the UDFA prospect that. It's way down the depth chart, but I like the talent a lot of Levante Bellamy. Maybe another team picks him up off the practice squad. He's an intriguing guy that I think is a deep, deep sleeper. 
another guy would be Scotty Phillips, uh, who out of Mississippi went to Houston. There were other people, like my co-host, Matt Caraccio, really liked Scotty Phillips. I think Matt Waldman is liked as well like Scotty Phillips. He's an intriguing guy who could do a little bit of everything. You know, he didn't test out as well at the combine as I think people thought he was, but I think on the field he shows, you know, above average athleticism. He can run between the tackles. He can kick it outside. He's got some pass catching ability. And let's be honest, that Houston backfield is is filtered with question marks. You know, you have David Johnson coming over there. He's going to get every opportunity to be the guy, but we saw last year a different player. We don't know how much he's got left in the tank. We got Duke Johnson, you know, who who's never been carried a heavy workload there. So there's an opportunity in Houston for a UDFA prospect to make the roster at running back and potentially, you know, move his way up. So I think he's an intriguing, intriguing deep name to keep an eye on. Uh, JJ Taylor with the Patriots. If there's a guy down the line who could potentially, you know, be a guy that moves up the Patriots depth chart, I think JJ Taylor is an intriguing player. Now this year he showed some improvement in terms of his passing game, but he's that third down change of pace type back. The Patriots find a way to maximize and utilize all their running backs. You know, if, if at some point James White is not on the roster, Rex Burkhead, you know, if those guys are not on the roster at some point, you know, and they just have Damian Harris and Sony Michelle there's an opportunity for someone to emerge there. And I'd like JJ Taylor's skill set to potentially be. And then the last two, uh, last couple names I'll mention, actually three names or four, two for the 49ers, Jermichael Hasty and Sal- Salvan Ahmed, Hasty from Baylor and, and Salve- Salven Ahmed from Washington. Those guys were people thought were going to get drafted. Ahmed, you know, many people thought he was going to be a burner when you saw him, his big playability in college, but never materialized at the combine. Uh, but he's an intriguing guy. And then Hasty from Baylor is another guy who's pretty, you know, I like his quickness and his acceleration and his burst. He's got some pass catching ability. He was down at the senior bowl. So he's an intriguing name. And it's not like the 49ers are locked in. I mean, we've seen Raheem Mostert, you know, jump up and make a name for himself. We've seen Jeff Wilson be fantasy viable. You know, they traded Matt Breida. They have an injured Jarek McKinnon. And then they have a, a Tevin Coleman, you know, who we'll see about his long-term viability. So 49ers are a team with that, you know, that Kyle Shanahan scheme that I'd always keep an eye on some of these, uh, you know, UDFA prospects as deep sleepers uh, to, to keep an eye on. Two other guys. One is Javon Leak uh, from Maryland who went to the Giants. He was my favorite UDFA prospect. Uh, my favorite guy to not get drafted was Javon Leak. At one point, I thought he was going to be test that really well at the combine and be a very intriguing prospect. It never materialized at the combine. He didn't run nearly as fast as I thought, but on film, I see acceleration. I see burst. I see quickness. I see big playability. And I see a Giants backfield that after Saquon Barkley is wide open for the taking. Deion Lewis on the one-year deal with no guaranteed money, basically. Wayne Gallman has, has been on the outs for a couple years, I think now. You know, he could be on the way out. So, with the money they're going to have to invest in Saquon Barkley long-term, and they're going to sign him long-term, they're not going to be willing to spend any other money at the running back position. So that means it opens it up for a late-round pick, or it opens it up for a UDFA prospect. I think Javon Leak is a guy who very much can be an intriguing guy. I think he's going to make the Giants roster, uh, potentially either as the third or fourth running back, or they'll try to sneak him on the, the practice squad for one year. But I think he's a guy who could develop into a role for the Giants you know, alongside Saquon Barkley and be that be a guy who comes on the field and can be a big play threat you know, as a change of pace type guy. I like Javon Leak a lot. And then Michael Warren, Son with the Eagles. I think the Eagles backfield right now is wide open after Miles Sanders. And Warren was a guy I thought could be drafted in the fifth round. Bigger guy, but pretty quick for his size. I like his short area acceleration and burst. So Michael Warren is a guy to keep an eye on as well. 
if we take this to the running back position uh, and talk about some undervalued guys, I mean, and we're not even going to get into the, the top guys. They're, they're so good. I, I will say this. I do think KJ Hamler has fallen way, way too far in rookie drafts. I think he is being undervalued because of the depth chart, because of Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. Don't undervalue a player with extreme talent. If you look at the, the ADP gap and the size and the size differential in terms of where they're going, the gap between Henry Ruggs and KJ Hamler is staggering. And it shouldn't be for the style of player that they are. And the draft capital is not so far off as, you know, first round. Yeah, very impressive. But KJ Hamler was second round. And KJ Hamler sometimes is going substantially rounds later than Henry Ruggs. Uh, you know, he shouldn't be going 12, 24 picks later than Henry Ruggs. If Henry Ruggs goes in the back part of round one, I think KJ Hamlin should go in the back part of round two. And I think he's fallen further than that because people look at that depth chart and not sure, you know, if he can climb up and be a factor. He might not be a guy who needs ever a 70 catch season. He might be a guy who could be very fantasy viable with a 55 catch season. So don't lose focus of KJ Hamler and his upside that he presents. So he's one of the bigger names. Uh, another guy who I think is a little bit undervalued is Devin Duvernay. I think he very much can develop into the second wide receiver there for Baltimore and be used in a, a variety of different ways, jet sweeps, end the rounds, you know, shovel passes, you know, as he continues to develop, you know, uh, into a more complete wide receiver. And Baltimore is going to open up spaces for him. And he's a guy who can be very effective after the catch. So those are those are top 100 guys that I think are a little bit undervalued. If we go a little bit deeper, I think Quintus Cephas, I talked about him with Mike Tagliere, I talked about him with Matt Baldwin, uh, Matt Waldman. He's a guy who very much I want to get on my dynasty uh, rosters if I could. I think Marvin Jones very much could be traded by the middle of the year. I think Cephas fits in as a big slot, but I really like his game. I think he can get an opportunity uh, to be a potential top three wide receiver in that Lions depth chart if he gets that uh, opportunity. I think he will run with it. Isaiah Coulter out of Houston is another guy who's a sleeper who I'm very intrigued by. I think he's going way too late in rookie drafts. I think he's another guy who could potentially emerge. They got a Will Fuller who constantly gets injured. They got an old Randall Cobb. You know, they got, you know, Kiki Kuti who's been on the outskirts. And then, you know, they traded for Brandon Cooks, who is, you know, has had a lot of injuries himself and concussion issues. So there's an opportunity for Isaiah Coulter to make that roster and as the, the fifth wide receiver this year, but move his way up much quicker than I think people anticipate and potentially then be attached to Deshaun Watson. So he's a guy who I think is going way too deep in rookie drafts and should be going a little bit higher than some other guys. Uh, last one in terms of drafted guys uh, would be Donovan Peoples-Jones. I thought he was a top 100 talent. The talent that he played with in, in terms of that Michigan offense and the quarterback play was horrendous. As Mike Tagliere and I were saying, if Donovan Peoples-Jones plays with Joe Burrow last year in the LSU offense, he's probably a top 50 pick. And that's, you know, I know it's crazy to say, but I honestly believe he would have put up great stats in college and the whole narrative would be different. Cleveland right now, you know, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, they don't have anything else after that. There could be an opportunity for someone else to develop, and Donald Peoples-Jones would be the guy that I'd be taking my shot on uh, You know, as an undervalued guy who I think is going a little bit too late uh, in rookie drafts uh, for, for the talent that I think uh, he has. If we take this to the UDFA portion, of the wide receivers, you know, listen, so many wide receivers were taken, but there were still some other guys that, you know, I think were a little bit intriguing. Omar, Omar Bayless from Arkansas State, he signed with the 
Carolina Panthers. Now, listen, I know you look at the Panthers roster right now. They, you know, obviously, you know, they got DJ Moore, they got Curtis Samuel. But after that, I kind of look at their roster and say to myself, there's no other wide receivers locked in long-term. And there's, you know, they signed Robbie Anderson, but that's through a relatively short-term deal, you know, and there's been talk that Curtis Samuel might get traded, you know, so if it's not this year, maybe after the year, maybe they don't look at Curtis Samuel as a long-term fixture there in that offense. So an undrafted guy like Omar Bayless coming from a smaller school like Arkansas State, he'd be a little bit of an intriguing guy uh, that I would keep my close tabs on as well. Uh, some other guys that, you know, that I think are a little bit interesting. Uh, Kalaja Lipscomb with the Chiefs. Now, Kalaja Lipscomb was a guy I really liked before the season started last year. Vanderbilt offense really struggled this year, and Lipscomb was kind of brought down by it. But I think he's a guy that, you know, I know right now the depth chart in Kansas City looks deep with, you know, Tyree Kill and Sammy Watkins and Nicole Hardman and, you know, uh, you know, and other guys that, you know, they they brought back. But I do think the Marcus Robinson, but I do think Watkins and Robinson aren't going to be on the roster next year. And I'm sure they're going to invest more because they're going to keep that position fully loaded for Patrick Mahomes. But at the same time, there's an opportunity for somebody to maybe make a name for themselves this year, well down the depth chart that they maybe look at as a wide receiver three or four in the future. And Lipscomb of all their UDFA guys, Lipscomb was the one that intrigues me the most uh, because I think he can play big slot. I think he can play the Z possession outside receiver as well. Uh, You know, and if they have these burners and Tyree Kill and, you know, Miko Hardman, I think Lipscomb could be an interesting piece that could fit in there, you know, and potentially, you know, earn a role uh, down the line there. And one other guy uh, I will mention is actually two other guys. Uh, one is Courtney Davis in Minnesota. I think we've already established that Minnesota besides Adam Thielen and, you know, this year, then they drafted Justin Jefferson. They don't got much else there. Gordon Davis was the guy I thought was going to be drafted in the fourth or fifth round. I think he can, you know, be a guy that is a NFL caliber wide receiver. His toughness, his physicality. So I like Courtney Davis there. He'd be a guy I'd keep an eye on as a deep, deep sleeper who is a UDFA prospect. And then two other, actually a few, a handful of other guys, Marquez Callaway for the Saints. He's a guy that Tennessee quarterback play was really pathetic recently. So he got hurt a little bit. Callaway is a guy who could make a name for himself there and move up the depth chart. Callaway is intriguing. I thought he could have been like this year's version of Darius Slayton, to be honest with you. So he ended up in New Orleans. They signed Emmanuel Sanders. That's a short-term fix there to compliment Mike Thomas. Traquan Smith hasn't really panned out. There's an opportunity for someone to come up through the ranks from way back in the depth chart, even a UDFA to potentially make a name for himself. And then two uh, guys, the Giants signed, both from Ohio State, Austin Mack and Benjamin Victor. The Giants depth chart at the wide receiver position after the top three guys is wide open. So either of these guys could make a roster to add some size and bulk to the position where the giants are, you know, very short, you know, golden Tate's probably not there for the long haul. Uh, So I do think that it's possible that one of these guys makes the roster, maybe even both of them make the roster, maybe one of the, the, you know, the the practice squad and maybe one of the the back end of the roster. Uh, But I do think these guys are guys to keep a close tabs on because there is room in that wide receiver depth chart uh, for somebody to emerge. If we, if we round this out real quick with, with tight ends, 
the only guy who I think is being undervalued, two guys who I think are being undervalued. One is Dalton Keene because New England also drafted Devin Asiasi. Dalton Keene is falling way too far in drafts. They invested in him. His athletic profile was really impressive at the combine. Virginia Tech did not just utilize him, you know, at all, you know, to the, to the capabilities they should have been. So he's undervalued for me. Uh, and then Harrison Bryant. I don't think David Njoku is there for the long haul. So I think, and I think the, Browns want to be a two tight end team pretty regularly with Kevin Stefanski. So I do think if Najoku's gone in a year or so, and then it's Hooper and Harrison Bryan, and listen, we know how these free agent signings work out. Like sometimes they have a long term deal, but it only ends up being a two or three year deal. I like Harris, Harrison Bryan's talent a lot. He was in my top three tight ends in this class. So I think he's an intriguing guy to kind of see what happens with him. Uh, for the long haul and kind of see, you know, if you can stash him, he'd be a guy that I'd be stashing. The only guy from the UDFA ranks at the tight end position, uh, well, two guys. One is Jared Pickney, who went to Atlanta uh, out of Vanderbilt. That once upon a time, people thought he was a top 100 pick. I never saw that because I had athletic concerns. I had separation quickness concerns, but he's an intriguing guy. Uh, he could potentially make the roster as a third string this year and move his way up, maybe to, to push Hayden Hurst to be the backup for Hayden Hurst. Uh, Hunter Bryan in Detroit. I know TJ Hawkinson's locked in, but I, Hunter Bryan was one of my favorite tight ends in the class. I thought he was a Jordan Reed, Trey Burden type player. So he's an intriguing name deep in, in rookie drafts that maybe you want to stash, gets an opportunity somewhere else. And then Giovanni Ricci out of Western Michigan who went to the Panthers is intriguing. I know they have Ian Thomas there, but they don't have much behind him. Ricci is a guy who I thought could be a pass catching guy uh, and be an intriguing guy, you know, uh, in the NFL in that capacity strictly as a pass catching role. So guys, there it is. I hope, you know, I hope you enjoyed this short episode, but I I did think it was, you know, all the conversations always center around the guys who are mostly taking at the top of the draft, top couple rounds. I think we, I think it's important, especially here at Saturday to Sunday, we talk so much about these other guys that then they get drafted and don't have draft capital attached to their name. And they kind of get forgotten a little bit besides draft weekend when I analyze every pick. So I did want to talk about these guys a little bit uh, on this episode, just to kind of share my thoughts about some of these prospects who I think are going undervalued in dynasty rookie drafts that I'm partaking in, or just in general in terms of ADP. And then also finally talk a little bit about some UDFA prospects to keep an eye on, you know, way way down, whether it's on taxi squads or as, you know, waiver wire guys to keep an eye on, you know, once training camps potentially start. So I hope you enjoyed it guys. Uh, so on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nicano, on behalf of my co-host, Matt Caraccio and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.